на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the RFN podcast. For those who celebrate, I hope you enjoyed your Easter. Over the weekend, the RPL also returned with a bang. We were trekked at 24 goals, two managerial resignations, and one new man in at Krasnodar. Since then, there's been the Cup of Russia quarterfinals, and Javier Rebolta has left Senate. To discuss all of this, I'm joined as usual by the dulcet tones of David Sanson. Cheers, James. Thanks for that. Good evening. <laughs> and our special guest, the voice of Russian football and English himself, Alexei Yaroshevsky. Hi, guys. Glad to be on, finally, and uh, thanks for the wonderful introduction. I guess I am the voice of Russian football in England and everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I think it's it's mostly yourself and Leonid, but as you've got a first Yarrow, I think you could definitely claim that title. So Yarrow, for those out there who live under a rock and probably may not know, could you do a quick introduction of yourself and discuss maybe what some of the work that you're known for in Russian football? Well, I would say primarily I am known in Russian football for doing a couple of things in uh, in relation to English football. When um, Oko purchased the rights for the English Premiership, we did a couple of really good projects. And after that, um, I sort of integrated into the football life here, although it's always been my passion, my dream to work in football. And then I suddenly got a call from uh, Leonid, not the one you mentioned earlier, but the other Leonid, who is now working as a social media manager for Dynamo Moscow. Uh, back <laughs> at the time, he worked at uh, the Russian Premier League, and he asked me to commentate uh, on a game of the Russian Premier League in English for the global audience. And I first thought it was some sort of experiment, and indeed it was. And ever since then, I kind of made history in that respect because I was the first commentator of the Russian Premier League in English. Uh, it wasn't actually a Dynamo Spartak game last season. And ever since mm. then, I've been doing that just every week, sometimes two games in a week, uh, sometimes even three weeks in a, three games in a week, um, along with a couple of my colleagues. It's not just Leonid, um, who is otherwise known sometimes as Borat uh, for his famous um, <laughs> shriek at one of the games. It's also Dan Hawkins, my good esteemed colleague, who's also commentating as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's been great. I've been loving it for the past year or so, doing commentary of the Russian football across the world yeah absolutely i think everyone who watches the service will agree that it's probably one of the best developments that we've had in terms of keeping up with the matches uh the price the and the wide availability um just really getting the game out there for a lot of people who maybe found it difficult to keep up and in the past so it's it's definitely been an excellent one and we've got to jump straight in to the managerial changes for those who may not have been aware, but at the weekend, uh, Krasnodar lost 5 0 at home to Dark Matt Grozny. And immediately after the match, uh, Murad Masayev resigned from his post as the Krasnodar manager. Now, it's been, in my opinion, a long time coming. It's not particularly surprising. Uh, Sergei Galyetsky did claim prior that he would support Masayev, even if he lost every game this season, but Masayev has taken the decision out of his hands. He's only got two wins from the last 10 games, which was against Tambov and Lokomotiv Tbilisi in a, in a friendly game. And they've actually conceded 14 goals in the last four alone. So, Yarrow, we, I mean, we've all covered Messiah in depth on the RFN, probably too much to be fair in the last couple of months. But 
as a, as a, as the guest on the pod, what's your thoughts about Messiah leaving? Are you particularly surprised about his departure or not? No, I'm absolutely not surprised. As you've said correctly, it's been a long time coming. Um, I really do feel sorry for him. I actually had a feeling that at some of those games uh, that you mentioned, the last four when they conceded an absolute ton of goals, I don't know, it's, it may sound like a conspiracy theory, but I had a feeling that some of the players were just uh, sort of willing to see the back of him mm. uh, and they were deliberately underperforming. I'm not putting the accusation out there. It's just sort of a, a feeling that I had. You know, these things happen in football and we've seen it time to time and again that sometimes players just refuse to play normally for their managers and uh, eventually they, they win and managers uh, get the sack. But in this case, I think... Uh, Musayev may have burnt out himself. I think it's just everything was going wrong. Um, and, you know, to me, Krasnodar being as low as 10th uh, after claiming the historic achievement for themselves, after claiming the much-coveted Champions League spot and actually playing decent football as compared to the other Russian clubs uh, during, the, <laughs> during the group stages. Um, you know, after all that, seeing them underperforming so badly, and I've commentated on a few games uh, with uh, with them, and you know, it, it's just I can't I cannot believe my eyes what's happening to them. So I think it's the right move for everyone concerned. I'm I'm pretty sure that Musayev will find a job very soon. Uh, he is a very talented manager. He's a young manager. He has a lot to um, you know to learn. He has a lot to grow, a lot of space for growth, and. Um, in the case of in the case of uh, Krasnodar appointing Gancherenka, it's also a good move for for the parties concerned. Uh, you know, Gancherenka was doing a really good job with a very limited amount of resources he's had at CSK, uh, and now he's have he, he's probably going to have more resources. But the biggest question, of course, is whether uh, Mr. Galitsky will let him manage, uh, or not just be like the usual "I'm the real boss here" kind of attitude, which I've heard about uh, regarding Krasnodar. Uh, but I think everyone should be pleased in, this, in these circumstances. And I do feel sorry for Murat Musayev on the one hand. On the other hand, I believe he is very much relieved to have you know, a bit of a vacation now before he certainly gets his new job. And I'm sure that there will be clubs after him uh, in the nearest future. Yeah, from, from, with Musayev from the outside looking in, it really does seem that he... I mean, he's a quiet man. He's quite a mild-mannered man. He's known for his quiet demeanour in his press conferences. And with some of the players, I think you can tell that they perhaps did lose some faith in him, did stop playing to 100% of their ability, whether or not that was intentional or if it's just a lack of faith, which is totally understandable. Um, now, as you mentioned, Yarod, Gontravenka has came in and signed a two-year contract to replace Masayev almost immediately after he... He resigned. David, first, do you think that this is a potentially good move for Goncharenka? I mean, we both went on records recently in saying that we would like to see him in the game back in the RPL, back in the Russian game pretty soon, but I don't think any of us expected this soon. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, that, because, you know, we this season we've lambasted both Goncharenko and Masayev for their... You know, underperformance. You know, they both did underperform this year. Gontarenko, maybe the last two years, struggled, um, particularly in Europe. Um, but we know he's a good coach. You know, he, he's done good things at Ufa. He started off really well with Siska. 
but you just wonder whether Krasnar could have been more ambitious. Could they have gone gone abroad and done something rather than getting you know someone who is used to how the league works, which is you know it's a good safe bet, and he's still a young coach. But we know he's not the best coach still. We know he's got his shortcomings, um, and it just it it disappointed me a little bit. You know, as much as I like Gonchurinko, you know he. Yeah, I remember he was struggling with stress and like high blood pressure at Cisco for a bit there. Um, but he's got a big job to do, and you know, we we talk about him um, coping well under Cisco's strict financial uh, you know, restrictions that he had for a few years. But then this summer they had they had big money, and he did not spend it well. You know, we heard that Geich was his that was his move rather than, you know, coming from the scouting team. He was the one who said, yeah, we, we want to get him. And we all know how that went. So it'd be interesting. You know, we've said, we've said a number of times that this is a big summer for Krasnodar. Their squad is not deep enough. We know that obviously Galitsky wants to use the youth team, but without Europe, they were uh, with Europe and the amount of injuries they had, they, they got found out pretty quick that relying on that youth team for depth isn't isn't the way. Obviously, they're, they're unlikely to have Europe next season, so they're not going to have the draw of getting players like Cabela or Klaassen or or Marcus Berg in this summer. So they're going to have to probably go back to their old strategy of, you know, maybe going back to Scandinavia, signing some young players out of Scandinavia or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that'll be that'll be more exciting than what we've seen last couple of years, where they've been signing ready-made players like Villeneuve, Cabela, Klaassen, etc. Because they needed ready-made players to to help them be competitive in the Champions League, which they were to a point. Um, and, you know, they did get hit with some very bad injury luck over the last couple of seasons, you know, big injuries to Gazinski and Cabela, Klaas and et cetera. So um, it's, it's going to be an interesting summer, you know, um, to see how Gontarenko and Krasnodar as a unit decide to rebuild. You know, we know that Berg's going. We know that Villeneuve is likely to go. Um, will, will players like Cabela want to stay as well? Klaas and is good enough to go and play abroad as well. So it'll be interesting. Um, but mi- mixed opinions on, on his appointment from my perspective, I think. Yeah, I think I agree almost entirely. I am also totally mixed. I rate Gontrenka as a coach. And if you look at his past, his best jobs have been where he has led the rebuild. When he had a rebuild, Siska, who had an aging squad, who needed to rebuild to get back and he he did lead a rebuild very well with the revamping of the squad and bringing in the players that he did and and introducing so much from Siska's academy but he only took them to a certain point I mean he also led the part of the rebuild or at least aided in part of the rebuild or of and around youth players at, at Ufa as well and did an excellent job there but my reservations is that a lot of the issues that he's going to be facing at Krasnodar were this very similar issues that he had at Siska previously, where it's a small squad, which is generally quite injury prone. They do have some genuine, real good quality in there. But like you said, David, how long is that going to stay around? I mean, Berg's already confirmed. I mean, yes, he's aging a bit, but he's already confirmed to be going back to Sweden and they're not getting European football next season. But I think they didn't go for a foreign manager and it's exactly what Yarrow said. It's it's that control that Galitsky exudes over the club and demands. He brings in yes-men. Shalimov was a yes-man. Kononov too. Masayev owes his entire career to Krasnodar. He's, he's a very talented coach by all accounts, by first-hand accounts as well, of the players who, who held him in high regard as a coach. But at the end of the day, all of them are yes-men to Galitsky to get his way. 
Now, I don't. I think Galyetsky, perhaps, without putting words into the man's mouth, could perceive as having a foreign coach as maybe causing a little bit of a problem. Like you saw, um, Constantine, the late great Constantine Sarsenia, had sometimes where um, Vilas Boas and and so on were very uh, not anything but yes men. They were very out there, very outgoing, and demanded total control. Goncharenka probably won't necessarily do that, and it was a very similar case under Siska, where Jinyan Babayev generally ran the club, and the only time recently that Goncharenka himself actually demanded more control was the signing of Gaich, and that didn't exactly go very well. So Yarrow, has uh, the last word on Goncharenka and Masayev. Do you think that Krasnodar maybe could have replaced or should have replaced Masayev with a foreign coach instead of Goncharenka? Well, I don't think that's the case, you know, with um, with Krasnodar. I don't think they necessarily were looking for a foreign coach. Um, I'm also not thinking they necessarily looked for another yes man, uh, because that evidently hasn't really worked out for Musayev. And again, listen, we have to be uh, on the inside of the club to understand how things run. We only can assume that Galitsky exerts so much control over uh, what's going on in the dressing room, he obviously exerts control over financial things and, uh, you know, how the club is run. But uh, when I asked people at Krasnodar directly, when I asked the players of Krasnodar directly what kind of involvement Mr. Galitsky has at the club, they've all been very coy about that. So I, I'm, I'm only, I'm, you know, I'm only assume, assumed that uh, he has this much power over managers. Um, but with Goncherenka, it just has to be different. We would just been talking about, um, you know, things like that with with a bunch of my colleagues uh, as to whether he has any chance of succeeding there. And the only way he can succeed there is if he has its his own way, uh, meaning transfers, meaning um, um, tactical decisions, and you know, the the lesser the influence Galitsky has on the actual game, on the actual playing style, on the actual, um, you know, footballing side of the club, uh, the more chance that we may see. Um, well, not necessarily a champion Krasnodar, but you know the team which gets back into at least the top four where they where they should be because their position in the table right now is a bit of a disgrace for everyone supporting the club. And you know, it, it's been a while. Uh, although, if we say it's been a while in relation to Krasnodar, that's kind of a joke because they've only been in existence for thirteen years. But it's been a while, even <laughs> in their within their short history. Um, that they've seen such a plight and such a low position in the table. They've used to success. They've just been to the Champions League and seeing things like that, you know, they can only go upwards from here because it's already sort of rock bottom for uh, what what they've been used to in the last couple of years. Yeah, hopefully. And knowing a functionary like Galyetsky in the way that he works, that he will leave no stone unturned until he can return Krasnodar back to that level, uh, that's just the sort of man Galyetsky is. He's, he's incredibly efficient. I mean, the, the job that he's done at Krasnodar so far to this point is is absolutely unbelievable and we we hold him in high regard and, and hopefully they can return back up there and soon, the sooner the better as well for both Krasnodar themselves and I think the RPL as a whole. Oh, oh, one last one last word, Yarrow. One. On... Yeah, I just want I just wanted to uh, to to sort of build on on your thoughts about uh, Galitsky in this respect. He's absolutely driven uh, in terms of making this uh, work. And uh, um, again, it's all up to uh, him now to to prove that he can trust the manager fully uh, in in terms of making this work. But 
you know, what I want to see at Krasnodar, and I actually tweeted out or actually I posted on my Telegram channel uh, a fortnight ago when uh, Gancherenko was was appointed, that um, what I want to see is all the haters of Krasnodar, you know, people sitting in there <laughs> on their couches and screaming that, you know, this is a multi-million toy of... Uh, a rich guy who's just playing with football. It's exactly not the case. It's exactly the opposite. He is very emotionally driven when it comes to this club. He invested so much of his own money, of his own uh, emotions into that. And he just has to sort of realize that uh, the manager is the man who takes the team out into the pitch. He motivates them and he builds the tactics and he wants certain players to play in his team. Uh, and if Galitsky does that, I believe we'll see a totally different Krasnodar next term. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, this this private model, I mean, I, I see that online as well with all the, the Krasnodar hate, but in my eyes, that's how what the rest of Russian football should be eyeing to move towards, is that private model, that that investment that Gelitsky provides to Krasnodar is keeping them competing at the highest level, and there's lots of clubs around the country that are desperate to, be able to emulate that. David, any last word on Krasnodar? Masayev and Goncharenka? Yeah, just an open question. So I'm trying to think, do Krasnar operate with a director of football? Is his Hashish is what's his name? Uh, Hashik. Is he the director of football? Or is he just a director somewhere you know, somewhere else? Because it's it's a weird one if they don't operate with one, with all the other clubs sort of are operating now, like Dinamo have a good one, Zenit obviously have Rebalta. I'm not sure how they operate there. I don't think uh, Krasnar have a DOF actually. Um, I think uh, Hashik is just the director. I met him actually a few times. He's a interesting bloke, uh, a rather nice bloke, I should say. Uh, but uh, I don't think he runs the sort of transfer business uh, dealings and all other mm. business aspects of the club as a DOF does. I think he's just a sort of figure to uh, to take care of administrative stuff within Krasnodar. I wonder if that's then something that they need to do as a club you know that's a you know we know they're a young progressive club i think that's maybe something they need to to look at to maybe try and take them to the next level like get get a good director of football in there and we we know they've got decent money behind them they could probably attract a decent name in there um you know we we we're seeing it work quite well for Fidinamo. um spartak have had obviously their ups and downs with their dofs uh, they had zorn obviously doing a decent job and then disappearing and then they had Gazizov uh, who uh, obviously had his potential falling out with Fadun. Um, so yeah, I think, I wonder if that's something they need They need to do is just my, my last thoughts. Um, Dave, you know I, what I else they need? In there. <laughs> you <laughs> know on. what else they need? They need me not commentating on their games because I think that's been the curse of Krasnodar as of late. I think it's only been like two times that Krasnodar actually won when I was commentating on their game. <laughs> And the funny thing is, I was going to commentate the game against Dinamo, the recent one where they were leading 2-0 and lost 3-2. And um, I was going to that game and a friend of mine texted <laughs> me, so are you going to drown Krasnodar again this time? I was like, dude, this is not funny. They should win. They really should win this time. And then they lose. So I think that's also the reason why they just went down the drain as of late. Mm, I think I remember you doing both the both the games against Zeni, the one where Utkin scored that great goal and then obviously they lost. And I can't remember if uh, you were around back in the, the one the season before that where Pereira scored his free kick and then Rakitsky scored his free kick as well. I think I think that might have been just before you, but I certainly remember the one where Utkin scored that belter. Yeah. 
beautiful yeah, goal. I didn't realize you were such a bad luck charm for them. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm happy to delegate the commentating Krasnodar duties to my colleagues. We have other two commentators, you know, that they can do that. I just don't want to drown them. <laughs> well, so yeah, you're, you're all good doing Spartak games at the moment. Yeah, hey, pretty good. I was going to say, every time every time Yaro comments on one of our Spartak games with Siska, I'm sure we lose. But I think that's probably more so Spartak's own fault in the in the Moscow derby of late rather than yours, Yaro. Elsewhere in the RPL... Um, <laughs> We've got another managerial resignation as at the weekend Dinamo slaughtered Ufa 4-0 and straight after the game Rashid Rakimov also resigned after having only taken over from Ufa less than a mere months ago now. The caretakers in Nikolai Safranidi, he's a South Ossetian who actually used to play for Ural and pl- and finished his career with Ufa themselves in in 2018. Ever since then he's been a member of the coaching staff. Interestingly, also, Arta Shaibekov is taking on the media duties and he's one of the, he stepped up his role from a regular coach to, to his, one of the assistants. He's a former UFA player and was at their academy in 2014, but he actually retired at a young age. He's just 26 still. Now, it's interesting because his previous role was to work on the functional side of the players and with the GPS data and the analytics. Um, he's now the... He's also, weirdly enough, the first official FIFA champion in the entirety of Bashkiria. <laughs> so he's got some experience there as well. But he's the actually the son of Rina Chaibekov, who took over from Shamil Gazizov as general director after the former left last year. Um, Rinat himself was previously an executive director and a loyal ally of Gazizov for a very long time. He's been at Ufa since 2010 and was actually there before Ufa existed. Um, he was one of the men in charge of Bashan Formsia's Dinamo, which was the club that succeeded Ufa. Uh, but it's it's just a nice little aside that he's one of the assistants who was previously data analyst and he's the executive director's son. But Alexis Tokalov, the Vel- uh, former Velez manager, is heavy favourite to take over, but that is still at this rate just rumours. And he, today, the Fenel confirmed that Tokalov has actually left Velez Moscow so to be honest it seems to be like a an if a when not if that Stukalov will potentially take over Ufa so David as the resident RFN Ufa expert do you think that Stukalov would fit in well there or is he maybe better off staying where he is at Velez at the top end of the FNL it will certainly be interesting um first half of the season Velez were getting big plaudits because they were going out there with no fear um and just just trying to outscore everyone obviously they had um, Artyom Maximenka, who was on some ridiculous form and got his transfer to, to Ural. Um, but they, you know, Velez have been renowned for this season for their relatively young squad. Um, you know, a lot of younger players in there, sub-23, sub sub-24 for most of them. Um, a squad built out of nothing, which would be a good thing for Ufa at least. You know, a lot of these guys and the Velez squad sort of had come out of academies of other teams. Like Maximenko had been barely getting football at Nizhny Novgorod, had been released from Arsenal Tula and he made him into one of the Feniel's best players this this season and then now he's playing in the Premier League. So in that sense, you know, it, it, it's a decent potential approval um, but the style of football doesn't match up to how Ufa, you know, we all know Ufa are one of the most boring teams as, admittedly as much as I quite enjoy watching them play and I, I do like Ufa. They, they do play some very anti-football stuff. I think... Uh, if they were going to be compared 
to to any club in the in the English leagues, you'd be getting your Burnleys and your and your Boltons and your Stokes um, Tottenham. out. <laughs> yeah, any any team coached by Jose Mourinho, yeah, <laughs> um, out there to to compare. So it'd be interesting to see if Stukalov was to bring that attacking mindset to, to Ufa um, and apply that to to them um, from Velez because you know Velez uh, after the first half of the season they were they were sat sixth. Fresh, you know, after just being promoted from the PFL, it was a good first half of the season playing fearless football. You know, they did get slaughtered a couple of times against the better teams. They lost heavily to to Krilia, like most teams did, um, but they also had some very good results. Um, Post winter, without Maximenko, they have struggled. Uh, they they've dropped well out of the uh, race for the top the top four, um, having been just four points adrift. I think they're now uh, eight or nine points adrift. So. Um, you know, he, he's struggled this side of the break, um, but he's a young coach. We know that's what we like to do. So I think there, there are some aspects where he sort of ticks some boxes and there are other question marks about him. Um, but, you know, it's a young coach at the start of his career and he's he's the sort of move you'd expect Ufa to make, you know, especially if they go down, which, you know, it's looking likely they might go down. Maybe they're, maybe they're planning ahead. Maybe they're playing right. If we get Stukalov in, he's the guy who's going to get us promoted straight back next season. So, um It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see what happens if he comes in. I think, I think there's potential. Um, you know, potentially if they do go down, then then their, his style would certainly suit them. Um, but it was, it'll be strange to see who they're attacking in the Premier League. But maybe they'll go all guts, no glory, uh, for the rest of the season to try and stay up. Um, yeah, we'll see. It would be a nice change for Ufa. I mean, I've. I've always joked myself about Ufa. Like, don't get me wrong. I I love Ufa as a club and how they operate. I always harken back to an article you wrote, David, for the for the site a couple of years back, where I think your headline was um, "Ufa: How to Run a Small Club in Russia," and it literally just nails hits the nail on the head. If you are the owner or a functionary at a relatively small new club like Ufa, follow their model. It's it's absolutely perfect in in not just getting through the leagues, but also long term sustainability. And I think that's perhaps what they have in mind here as well. Of course, I mean, Stukalov could make a short-term impact if he does brilliant for the club. But long-term, this is definitely a, a very sensible option for whatever league Ufa remain in next season. If they do fall down to the, uh, drop down to the Finnael, then he's already dragged a privately owned, relatively new, successful club up to that level of near the top of the Finnael. Why couldn't he do it again next season with Ufa if that is the case that has to that has to happen? Uh, Yaro, what do you think about um, Stukalov and the general resignation of Rakimov? I don't think that Rakimov's resignation was really that surprising if you look at the results. Well, I think Rakimov just jumped at an opportunity to work somewhere. I mean, he's been without a job for, for a while and, you know, the opportunity came knocking on his door and why not? Uh, I would say he his job was an uphill ride from the very beginning, uh, because Ufa's problems have been quite severe uh, ever since you know the start of, of the season. I think they should not have sacked Vadim Yevseyev. They should have given him more time. I think he, he was doing a really good job you know, in the club. And you always have those spells where your club is underperforming, where you think you have lost a sense of direction, where you know something new is needed. But overall, just before that, don't forget Ufa was uh, pretty much in the top part of the table not so long ago. Um, 
Uh, Ufa played some really interesting football. Ufa had really good players. Let's not forget where Mr. Zinchenko comes from and, you know, a multiple champion of England and about to become another uh, time champion of England this term with Manchester City. That was all Ufa just not so long ago. This season, they just fell off the cliff. And um, I assume, again, I, I, I'm not really well versed into the inner dealings of the club. It has a lot to do with uh, Gazizov's departure, uh, a very unsuccessful departure to Spartak Moscow um, mm -hmm. a season ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, now he's back and we see all these changes, you know, happening. Um, uh, no, I'm not talking about Rahimov's resignation. I think it was pretty obvious that he would not last in this job. Um, but I'm talking about everything else. And even if they go for Stukalov, I can't say I'm too familiar with his uh, playing style. I think I've only seen Veles playing like once this season. Uh, sorry, just not too, many, too, many time, too much time I have available for watching the lower leagues. Um, but in any case, uh, he is considered quite a promising guy. And as you said, working with a privately owned club with very low resources, taking them you know, very high in the second tier is a good achievement as it is. So if there is some kind of plan moving forward, I think they are pretty much ready for relegation. There are very small chances of Ufa staying up. Uh, at the very best that, you know, that can happen to them is they make the playoff for the final uh, relegation spot uh, against either Rotter or Ural. Uh, it's not going to be Tambov in any case, and we all know, and we all know that. Um, but I do believe that, you know, there is, there is an understanding among Ufa that uh, whoever comes in now must uh, brace himself for um, potentially clawing their way back into the Premier League next season. And I think Ufa have, have everything they need to do that, especially if Gazizov is as active as rumors are there yeah, uh, rumors are out there in terms of uh, running things again with the club. Yeah, certainly, because he's of himself has confirmed in a in a recent interview that he will be taking over as general director, but will also be working alongside um, Shaibekov, who will remain as as general director until the end of the season. So, I'm not quite sure how that dynamic works, but it's inevitable that Kazizov will will basically get back in charge again and. Chaibekov is is a very loyal friend and ally of his anyway. Um, David, what, what do you think the where Ufa's problems lie this season, and why are they struggling so much as opposed to last? Is it potentially a an add on effect of transfers and COVID and everything that's going on in the world right now? I think Gary had it with the you know the the loss of Gazilov was huge. Obviously, we know that um, you know we we read comments and quotes from from Ufa that. They did struggle with the pandemic. They lost a lot of money, um, you know, as a small club who depend on things like match day income and things like that. Um, you know, they they struggled. So then, when they when they lost Kaziyev, they lost Fomin, they lost Urunov in the summer, and they they had no money to replace those three guys. And those three guys were were key on and off the pitch to Ufa's you know strategy. And you know, we see how good Fomin's been back at Dinama. Uh, Urunov, I think, just made the move too soon. Obviously, he's come back to Ufa and. In a, in a struggling team is um, has been very disappointing, um, and I think it was just that they they had so little wiggle room. They just were looking to survive. You know, they they brought in players from freeze from all over Europe, Croatians, Bosnians, Serbians, just just guys who are so anti their normal remit of, of signing players like Zinchenko, like Oblyakov, who they brought out of the out of the Zenit Academy, and and guys like that. You know, they were used to signing younger guys. Um, and turning around for me and being another great example, you know, signed out of the Feniel, 
Um, and they, they didn't have a chance to do that. They just had to rely on free agents and loans and uh, they couldn't build a squad, which is good enough ultimately. You know, there's there's some good individual talents there in the squad, but it isn't good enough. Um, and we're you know with we finally saw them in in the winter finally maybe start to get some spending going again. They brought in um, the Norwegian guy Bizoza, um, which is sort of back into their remit of signing some younger players from abroad. Um, you have to wonder if they're relegated. Would he stick around? Uh, potentially not. Um, See, so yeah, I think I think it was all all just related to those departures and, and COVID. Um, they were they were limited to what they could do, um, and I actually I agree well with Yara as well about Yevseev. I I really liked Yevseev. There was even rumours that he could have gone back to Ufa um, there as well, um, which you know we may we may well yet see. Um, I liked him there. He was a, he was an interesting character, that's for sure. Um, but I thought he was doing a decent job before before he was sacked. Um, See, so yeah, I think just just some bad luck from bad luck and. Um, lack of lack of money, it seemed to me, was was what caused them to struggle so much. Yeah, it it seems COVID really had a a difficult effect as well on them with all that money that they got for those transfers just going straight and trying to keep the club alive. Now we did ask as a, uh, earlier this morning before we recorded the pod for any of your questions, the listener questions for for Yarrow and uh, Frederick Brockhart came back with one and asked Yarrow what your opinion is on. On Olic at Siska, and how did Siska play in, in Olic's first game in that win over Tambov at the weekend, Yarrow? Well, I it's you know to me it's kind of uh, a very I wouldn't say weird one in the circumstances, but uh, some of the former pros um, of both CSK and Spartak and and actually Dinamo as well that I've spoken with about Olic and ever since he's been appointed, they all say in one voice that you know it's a bit of a weird one considering that Olic. Yes, he may be sort of a footballing legend of CSK and uh, one of the best players from outside of Russia to ever represent the club and the supporters love him so much. But managerially, he's barely had any experience at all. I mean, assistant manager of the Croatian national team, no matter how good that team was and no matter how far it got with uh, Olic being the assistant manager, it's still uh, maybe not enough for a club like CSK, for a club with ambitions like CSK have. for a club which is not necessarily in peril, but uh, clearly a very roller coaster season for them. You know, there were times then when they were first in the table. Now they are, you know, trying to stay alive in the top four and things like that. Um, so I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm divided about Olic yet. Um, the two games that I've seen so far, which is the one in the league and the one in the cup, both games didn't really feel like, you know the new manager syndrome when a team is playing very average football and then the new manager comes in and then the team starts winning. It often happens in the world of football, but this is not the case. I mean, they won both games, but they didn't look, you know, super comfortable. And come on, they played against Tambov. Uh, everyone beats Tambov now. I mean, dropping points against Tambov at this rate <laughs> must be considered something of, 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 you know, of an abuse. It must be offensive uh, because they're just so bad. <laughs> I feel very bad for them. I mean, it's not their problem. It's the problem of the the people running that club that they led them to such a financial abyss. But at the end of the day, uh, a 2-1 win against Ambov with four penalties in the game, that's not something that would give you like wings of confidence and would tell you, okay, Olic is landed and he will lead us to glory. We'll see, of course, but for now, it's still a very sort of open book for me when it comes to Olic and his chances at CSK. 
Yeah, it's a good thing that Ruben have already played Tambov in the allocated league games this season because I think they, with how they play against smaller teams compared to how they play against big teams, would potentially drop points. So wasn't it, David, that Ruben drew with Tambov in a in a friendly game not that long ago during the international break, wasn't it? Mm, yeah, I'd rather not talk about that, to be honest. <laughs> That's fair enough. But anyway, we'll move on. Uh, and that ends our little segment on the sort of managerial incomings and outgoings in the RPL over the last last couple of weeks or so. I know Olich wasn't quite as as new, but it was Siska in the Olich move that started off this little bit of a merry-go-round. And another request we had from on, on the Twitter was from Tom Bowdry, and that was to ask Alexi about whether or not Spartak are in a title race this year. So Yarrow, you you commented on uh, commentated on the Rostov Spartak game at the weekend. Do you think Spartak could be in a title race, or is or is that defense maybe not quite good enough to keep up with Zenit? Well, I would say hell yeah, they are in a title race, and finally we have yeah. a title race, which is great. Uh, it could <laughs> be any other team in Spartak's place. I mean, uh, after this coming weekend, it can be Lokomotiv in their place. Um, but you know, it's it largely <laughs> depends on. Um, on on Zenit now, I think it's theirs to lose in many ways. Um, of course, Spartak is the kind of team that can always find a mine uh, away from the minefield. You know, they can stumble. Uh, of course, I'm not talking about that loss against Rubin, uh, Dave. Uh, no, no, Rubin were absolutely majestic in that game, and they deserved the win uh, and all that kind of stuff. But Spartak draw points in unexpected places all throughout the season as well. They have been also very unstable. Um, had there been slightly more, I don't know, prolific or professional in the away game against Zenit before the winter break, we could have had a proper title race on our hands now. But they absolutely collapsed in that match. And uh, even with the help mm-hmm. from Dejan Lovren, uh, they still couldn't you know, get at least a point in St. Petersburg. Uh, but no, I believe they are firmly in the title race. And uh, you remember what I said about me commentating on the Krasnodar game? games uh well it's a, the other way around with spartak these days like every match i commentate with the red and whites they keep winning um and this weekend i'm commentating on uh the moscow derby between loco and spartak so i'm very much excited to see what happens there because both locomotive and spartak have been very impressive of late and um i'm i'm really happy for uh probably the first time in what three seasons that we do have a proper title race with uh, you know, it, it can actually go down to the wire to the last game week of the championship to decide who is the winner. Hopefully. Hopefully. That's that's what I'm really excited about this year. I mean, Yarrow, if that's true when, when you commentate and Spartak always win, then I think I'm going to have to lock you to the to the outside of the Otkritia at some point this season. But I will provide a guitar and a bottle of vodka, Denis Glusharkov 2017 style at the very least. So <laughs> nice. while on while on the Spartak topic. How do you think Promes has has played since his return from from uh, Holland? Well, it's it looks like he just you know is living a second life. Uh, he he's just lost um, most of the stuff that he's had uh, in the last couple of seasons. He admitted openly that his move to Seville was a mistake. Uh, he was forced to play uh, almost like a defender uh, at, at that team. Uh, at Ajax, it didn't really work out for him either. I mean, but Ajax is a you know is the biggest talent generator uh, probably in Europe, uh, and it's really hard to fit in in that team where so many youngsters are you know are showing their magic. Uh, but now he just he he just returned and he's on fire. He's either scoring or assisting, 
uh, in just about every game since he's been coming on. Uh, you can also tell by, I'm not a like a body language expert, but you can also tell by, you know, his emotions and the way he reacts to stuff on the pitch uh, that he is, he's, he's where he's belong. You know, he, he just has to be here. It's his team and his uh, championship. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, Ajax and Spartak will come to an agreement uh, to make this deal permanent at the end of the season. Um, also, again, I'm not a Spartak Moscow fan. I'm just, uh, you know, seeing how this works out for the club, how this works out for the fans. And trust me, when, when, he's, when he's returned, you, we see a total dif- different Spartak. Um, many many of my, well, my colleagues in the Russian press, they've said that Promes is exactly what Spartak have been missing in terms of attacking play. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a few more things they've missed as well, but uh, definitely Promes makes them stronger, makes them better. And maybe partly because he's back, we are having a title race. I think so. I think Promes is, when he was here last time, was the life of that of that team. He was the core of that Carrera team, which was so effective. He now he's when he was gone, Spartak really just missed that sort of star player, that that creative force that they could pull the whole club around, and that's something that Spartak really needs. They need charismatic figures to to direct that club in the correct direction. The size of the club, the fan base of the club, you need something to grab a hold onto. So I'm optimistic. I'm really glad Promise is back and I'm even more glad that he's returned to his old ways. David, it's time for Ruben Corner. Okay, straight into it. I just want to add, <laughs> I did. I always thought you were a Spartak fan, Yari. So that was an interesting revelation there. Uh, I don't know why. I just always thought you were a Spartak fan. But um, yeah, Ruben, that was an important win. It was an important win we had uh, last weekend against Sochi. It's the kind of game I was expecting us to lose in our running. We got a pretty tough running with uh, Sochi, Rostov, Krasnodar as, as some of our opponents. And they're all our competitors as we're going for the for the top five. So, um, yeah, good win. Very good win uh, in the circumstances. You know, we're still missing uh, Huang in midfield, um, which, which is a big loss. Although it's back in training now. But we can always rely on, on one man at the moment, the man, the man of the moment, obviously, the boy Kvitscher, um, you know, scored a scored a worldie. Is just his reputation keeps on growing at the moment, and it's it's you know it's so nice to see him get some recognition uh, outside of Russia yeah, in recent weeks. Um, so yeah, Dave, big, big Dave, do, do you do you know that that I always uh, mention you whenever I, I commentate on the Ruben games as the biggest Kvitscher fan out there? I do outside of Russia and Georgia. <laughs> oh yeah, the Georgians, man, they love him. <laughs> they love him so much. And so do I, to be fair. You know, it's so nice, like, to have watched him this season. And I've always had that doubt was like, is he just good because he's playing in Russia? Is he just good because he's playing for my team and I think he's good? And then to see him go out against Spain and play the way he did against Spain, you know, that was him saying to us, you know, I can do this at another level. So, yeah, I think that that was the thing that really finally made me think, wow, we've we've got a serious player here in Russia. Um, so, yeah, big win for us, you know. We've we've currently got forty points in the league, Ruben, which is our our highest total for the last like five years. Like, and there's still six games left to play, so we're having a very good season here under Slutsky. You know, he's doing a great job. Um, hopefully, we can somehow snag maybe fifth spot and uh, and sneak into Europe. You know, it would be amazing if we could get European football. Um, I, after the last few years, it's not something I was expecting, but the fact that we're actually in there in that in that amazing race for Europe that there is. 
this season, you know, with those six teams vying for it. It's just it's just nice to be in the mix again. On Ruben quickly, I, I don't discuss Ruben much, but I I had a few beers at the weekend for Easter, and <laughs> I have I've found my notes because I, I I type up some notes when I watch the games on YouTube to 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 look back at for for the podcast and so on. And I've literally only got three bullet points for Ruben Sochi, and it's Ruben bad, Chupin good, Kavicha great. So I think that, to be honest, when I watched the game back again in a more sober state, it literally, like, drunk me knows what he's talking about because it's Sochi oh, yeah. really good, but Chupin oh, yeah. kept your guys in it until Kavicha's wonder strike. Kavicha didn't even start. That was it. We played the whole first half without him. I think presumably because he played, you know, so a lot of football over the international break. In that first half, we had Kostukov out there on the left wing, and you know it was just an unbelievable world of difference when they subbed him at half time. It was uh, it was ridiculous. Just that directness that you get from him, just just always makes that a game so exciting to watch when you're watching him. So um, yeah, big 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 win um, against Sochi there, and uh, hopefully we can we can go do it with with some of these uh, fixtures. We got a nice little. Our last two fixtures are Arsenal and Rotor, which are nice and easy ones. A bit like Zenit, actually. I just noticed that Zenit's last two fixtures are um, Rotor and Ufer, I think. Um, so if Zenit are going to... Mm. No, Ufer and Tambov are even easier. And they have got to play Rotor as well. So if Zenit are going to drop points, they've <laughs> it's got to happen soon because they've got a very easy last three fixtures there. So um, it's it's going to be a very, very good end to the season here. Like the best for years, surely. Definitely in the race for Europe just outside. Now, in that race for Europe, there's five points currently that separate third from ninth. The one team, though, that really sort of stand out for me in the, in recent times, and especially since the return after the winter break, is is Lokomotiv and how Nikolic has got them operating in, in this all season, to be fair, in, in those couple of games in Europe where they put in some brilliant defensive performances uh, at the start of the season, but particularly after his tactical change, uh, going with the big man, little man up top, and he's really bringing the best out of some unheralded players. I mean, Day actually looks like a footballer for the first time since he moved to Loco. Yara, what 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 are your thoughts of Nikolic this season? Are you being enthused by the Serbs' work over in Moscow? Well, absolutely, and um, I might only disagree with you about Adair. I think he is still as wooden as he was two years ago. Um, the, the, man, the man is an enigma to me, complete enigma. Uh, how on earth can he score the most important goals in the history of whatever Portugal national team and, and locomotive for that matter? And then just for the rest of the time, he's absolute nothing on the pitch. It's, it's just mind-boggling to me. But anyway, uh, he's a hero of the moment and let's appreciate him for that. Um, but back to locomotive, you know... Um, after the winter break, they've been absolutely different, unstoppable. Um, I just commentated on their cup game against Sochi and the way they played, you know, they gave the ball to Sochi maybe too much in the first half, but they just needed this one chance or someone 40, 40, 44 minutes into the game uh, where Smolov just bounced on it. Boom, there we have a goal. And the second half, pretty much the same. They give the ball away. They let them control the ball. And then they just strike, boom, 2-0. And Sochi are demoralized, they're man down. And uh, that's, you know, that's been the style of Lokomotiv ever since they, uh, the, the post-winter restart. Uh, the same story pretty much in the game against Arsenal, uh, where Arsenal were just you know, banging on their door for 70 minutes, and then Lokomotiv somehow emerged 3-0 winners. 
because they just activated some superpowers in uh, the last 20 minutes of the game. And one of those superpowers was, of course, Smolov, who is, um, I would say, back to his best now. And that's good news for not only for just Lokomotiv, but for the Russian national team as well. Um, I mean, both of his goals in the cup were absolute bangers. Uh, but but anyway, uh, speaking about Nikolic, there's only one thing that annoys me a little bit, uh, and those are a couple of friends of mine, uh, locomotive fans, who were uh, firmly in the Nikolic out camp just before the winter break. Uh, if you remember, locomotive lost heavily against Krasnodar, uh, and they were like on a pretty bad run of form before the winter break. And we had this like long conversation with uh, my diehard locomotive supporting friends, and I told them like, give him some time, guys. He's not even a full season in. He led you to Europe, not just to Europe, to second place finish, the Champions League last season. Um, not against all lords, but, you know, the, the situation in Locomotive was very toxic after Sermon's departure and, and all that. Uh, so just give him some time and then we see, bang, uh, after the winter break, uh, Locomotive com- com- comes back in an absolutely different form. Uh, as you've said correctly, the, some of the players are given um, much more game time. They have much more trust from Nikolic. Um, you know, Mukhin started playing a lot of games, which is really good. And I think he's a very talented young man. Um, the, the master stroke of signing Pablo from, from Bordeaux, um, you know, you, you see how great he's been. Locomotive is barely conceding any goals at all. But I do believe the real test for them um, will happen this weekend because, you know, Spartak, who've also had a resurgence of form, uh, not as good as Locomotive after the winter break. But I would, I would argue that. Um, you know, Spartak probably had a little more difficult opposition than than Lokomotiv on on their way. Um, mm-hmm. The resurgence of form has been has been fantastic, and it, it's really fun to watch them. They they do play some really good football. They play cautious football sometimes, but then they always find the space to punish the opposition for it. And you know, their run speaks for itself. Was it five games won on a trot um, since the post winter break? Um, and you know, yeah. now I now I have the the golden opportunity to rub it in the faces of my local supporting friends saying, I told you so guys, you just had to give them time. But obviously these guys are annoying right now because they think they're going to be champions of Russia now. So, you know, it's the circle of annoyance when it comes to my communication <laughs> with my local supporting friends, but I'm really happy to see locomotive playing much better. I'm really happy to see Nikolic uh, proving a lot of doubters wrong and long may it continue. Yeah, I think we can relate with the local fans going from one extreme to the other earlier. Dude, they're so annoying sometimes. It's just unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it all the time. I mean, that's my own fault with Spartak. We're just constantly depressed. But one last little thing on the RPL today before we do move on to the rest of the Twitter questions to finish off. A certain Javier Rebolta actually left Zenit. He was, the, of course, the director of football and has been instrumental in the last couple of years about Zenit's return to the top of the RPL and we've worked with him previously ourselves and, and had the odd contact with him and he's been nothing but uh, very welcoming, polite, brilliant, interesting and done a great job at Zenit. There's rumours that he could be off to Eintracht Frankfurt and other rumours that he, he will basically end up at a club in, in Europe somewhere. Um, so all the best to him and also rumoured that a certain Andre Arshavin could be replacing him in the in the big job at Zenit as well. So definitely want to watch, look out for in the future, and I think we will cover that in a in a future episode in lieu of trying to fit everybody's Twitter questions in. So Yarrow, the first one that we got that we haven't mentioned already was from Ben, 
at the Ben Zenit. And he asked, for the YouTube match commentary, will there potentially be two commentators instead of just one per match in the future? Is there anything you may be allowed to answer? No, I'm allowed to answer everything. I'm not in handcuffs or you know anything like that. <laughs> Our job is very sort of open and transparent at the, the Russian Premier League. <laughs> um, well, the, the, the sort of news I have for now is that I spoke to one of the coordinators last week and uh, it seems that the English commentary will continue into next season, which is great news, I believe, to those watching Russian football outside. It's personally great news for me, obviously, because I love this job. Um, as for the two commentators, I cannot say whether that will happen. I mean, technically, it is possible because there's enough space in the studios that, we, uh, that we're doing our commentary from. There's enough equipment, so that shouldn't be a problem. Um, I would say the only, probably the only obstacle on the way to having two commentators commentate in the same, at the same time is uh, there's not too many of us. It's only just three of us for now. Uh, there might be some more people coming mm -hmm. in, but that's not my decision to make. Uh, whether there would be any more spare hands and we can do a dual commentary, that would be great. I even suggested to the guys at RPL, maybe at some point we should commentate straight from the stadiums, like the big boys at March do. Uh, but that might be running into some technical difficulties. I mean, setting up the, the broadcast from there and all that. Uh, but listen, just what, 18 months ago, there was no English commentary at all. Um, the fact is that the Russian Premier League are trying to change things. They are moving forward. They are trying to introduce something new. Uh, there was a point when we even did like sort of little online teases for the game, uh, for big games coming up. I hope that things will that those things will return uh, for next season. Um, there is a certain degree of willingness to progress, to change things, to make it a little more flashy. Um, so I'm I'm hoping maybe the the dual commentary is somewhere down the down the list of those things to be introduced next season. But we'll see about that. Hopefully, hopefully, I think it is. Brilliant, really, the coverage that they do, considering it's, what, £5 a month for the upper-end subscription fee. Um, you can't beat that. But we also had a question from Chris Holly. That's at Chris Holly EFC. What's been the most bizarre thing you've ever witnessed at a game, on or off the pitch? Or potentially, what's the most memorable goal you've witnessed in the RPL? Well, listen, when it comes to bizarre things uh, related to Russian football... It's the banter league of the world. There are so many bizarre things that uh, if, I, if I start talking about them, we might go for another hour at least. But listen, guys, you did, you did a thread with uh, the most bizarre happenings on and off the pitch in the Russian league. So, um, you know, the, the person who asked that question can actually go and see that thread and enjoy it and mm. laugh uh, his or her head off. Um, but uh, when it comes to like more, the more recent things, I would say probably... Uh, there's a strong competition between Day and Lovren's own goal against uh, Spartak Moscow. I think that was pretty bizarre because I was commentating on that game and I couldn't describe what happened because it just I was dumbfounded for the first time in, in a very long time. Uh, and the second one, the more recent one, um, uh, Nikola Vlasic uh, shooting a corner against the corner flag, <laughs> which even made the 4-3-3 headlines. Uh, <laughs> I was quite surprised when I when I heard my voice on four three three, which is I've been there before, but like, whoa, what's going on here? Um, yeah, that was quite bizarre. And talking about goals, um, well, in the recent history, if we're talking about the Russian Premier League, in my personal chart of crazy goals, nothing beats Eric Bigfalvi and his his shot against Dinamo. I mean, that goal is just an absolute killer. Yeah. I can watch it forever. It's literally my favorite goal ever. Uh, in the Russian Premier League. 
the, the screamer by Daniel Lutkin against Zenit, um, largely irrelevant in the context of the game and the final result, uh, still was a very beautiful goal to observe. Um, well, well, I think that should be that should be it. But there are obviously many, many goals scored, beautiful goals. Um, Jordan Larson scored an absolute beauty recently. So um, there are plenty of goals. I do the highlights every every game week, and uh, sometimes just my joy is on the floor uh, as how beautiful those goals are. Considering everyone says how <clears throat> average the Russian league mm-hmm. is, we sometimes see like beautiful goals and saves, and that's always fun to watch. I think in terms of bizarre, I, I I'm jealous of anyone who is at the Luch game for when the Luch fan threw the rooster off Alexander Gregorian. And I would <laughs> yeah, lo- yeah, I remember that one. I would love to see what went on after that and how they got that chicken or rooster, whatever it is, away from the pitch. But anyway, <laughs> I digress once again. We've got a question from a, a certain Andrew Flint. Uh, I don't know if I recognise that name, Andrew Flint. But oh, I know that guy. Anyway, Andrew's asked, "Have you? yeah, of course, Andrew. Good man. Good man, Andrew. I'm glad you're listening again. But um, how excited have you been to be part of the RPL's drive to improve YouTube broadcast in English language comms? I kind of answered that one already. But how much potential do you see the league in having reaching a global audience? Now, I, I personally think this they're going down the right route in that terms of, of the YouTube route at first to, to get in the interest at the low entry fee price. But I don't know. What, what do you think, Yarrow, about the, about the route that they're taking to do it? No, uh, I know critics, uh, I know people um, who say that, you know, the Russian Premier League should have done better in the last five to ten years, that there were some very lucrative, um, you know, possibilities and opportunities to expand, to uh, be more, um, you know, to cover more ground across the world in terms of the coverage and all that. Of course, you know, if you look at the inner managerial structure of the Russian Premier League, of course, we know that you know pretty much the same people are at the top of the pyramid, but there's been so many changes uh, internally uh, from you know PR managers, social media managers. You know these people just keep changing and changing and changing, and, and new people come in with new ideas and things like that. And basically, that's how my work for the Russian Premier League materialized, and I hope it it, it stays that way. Um, but overall, I I'm I agree with you. I think the the decision to do it on YouTube was a very correct one. Uh, first of all, because it's very easily accessible, uh, the price, if we are talking about, as we Russians say, the Western world, although I don't really like that cliche, uh, the price is just is just laughable. You know, um, when I just started doing this, I had a girl from uh, Austria texting me, uh, DMing me on Twitter saying, you know, every time I go to work, uh, I pay a toll on my road of like three euros per ride. And here I pay like what two bucks or five bucks for for a month, um, so it's it's literally nothing. Uh, so I think that that direction was a very, a very correct one uh, on behalf of the Russian Premier League to do the YouTube. It's uh, first of all because of the accessibility, um, but uh, relating to the first part of the question of how excited I was, man, I was, I, I wouldn't say I was shaking, but I was nervous for the very. For the, for the first time in a very long time, because I've been doing television work for two decades now, and uh, very few things made me nervous over this period. But here I'm, I'm sitting in that tiny booth at Ostankina, the TV center in Moscow, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, it might be the first time I, I actually make history. So there's a huge responsibility on my shoulders, and you know I have to be uh, very concise. I, I literally prepared for the whole night before that. 
Um, and, you know, considering this was my, um, well, I wouldn't say first uh, experiment with commentating. I've commentated before, uh, but those were live games on the pitches and things like that. But this was the first sort of broadcasting way of commentating on a game. Uh, and I, I felt really nervous, but at the same time, I felt, you know, great because um, I was taking a small step for <laughs> the Russian Premier League, but maybe the huge step for Russian football in general at the time. And I'm really happy that this thing goes on, that this thing continues. <laughs> and I'm even more happy that um, uh, it, it's probably going to continue into the next season. Because honestly, guys, when I walk into the booth, no matter who plays, whether it's Ahmad against CSK or Ufa against Rotor Volgograd, I don't care. Yeah, I just love it. It's, it's, it's a great gig to have. Yeah, that's awesome. You can tell as well, the enthusiasm really does shine through on on the comms in particular as well. It's it's pretty cool. And I'm glad it's going so well because it's... I mean, I've been watching not just the RPL, but the Russian League in general for, for 15 years now. And I remember the, the olden days of trying to hunt down a Russian VPN or any sort of dodgy, weird stream from the back end of nowhere that you've never been on your life and every other in every other second you're getting a dodgy virus pop up so because there's so little on tv in the uk so it's 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 really changed changed the game for not just fans of russian football as i think we would all attest to but particularly for us our in in our quite unique position of covering russian football as well as being fans it's it's really opened it up and and you can see in the last couple of years the with the world cup as well of course helping the the way that the the league is growing, at least from a marketing point of view, from even the work that Spartak are doing on Twitter, I get in group chats of Sunderland fans who couldn't care less about Russian football, to be frank, like sharing Kavicha's goal, sharing Spartak's tweets. And I'm like, this is weird and cool and awesome. Why do you care about this when you usually wouldn't? But we have another one from Dave Dano. Um, Dave, the man behind the FC Zenit and Mauritius Twitter account, of course. And and Dave's asked, as a native, what makes you the most proud about the domestic league? And what have you in particular seen improve in the last decade the most? Well, what makes me proud of the domestic league is that it's um, it's a one of a kind in the world, should I say, because of the banter. Uh, you would never get such crazy things happening in, in England or in Spain or in Italy. Uh, to the point that those leagues, of course, they may be much more entertaining in terms of football. Um, Although I would argue about some of the games in England as to compare to some of the games in Russia um, or, or in Spain or, or in Italy. But, you know, you will never have so much crazy roller coaster stuff, scandals, fights between managers, suspensions, you know, different kind of sort of non-football stuff happening anywhere else but Russia. I wouldn't say it makes me proud. Uh, some of those things are pretty dark and maybe they have no place in, um, in football in general, mm. um, and maybe some of those things actually diminish the credibility of Russian League in the eyes of many Russian domestic fans. Uh, but <laughs> uh, it, it kind of makes me proud that it's, it's, it's a unique league of its own. And, you know, um, the other thing that makes me kind of proud of it is that uh, it's, um, it's becoming unpredictable. Um, if it was a one-way traffic for Zenit for the last couple of seasons, and before that it was just heavy one-way traffic for Spartak, Throughout the 90s, uh, the, the champion changes from time to time. Uh, the title race is back on at least this year. Uh, the teams are growing in quality overall. Um, of course, there are, there are things like Tambov, 
there are things like um i don't know um Tosna back in the day right when when they won the cup and and and, mm. and got basically uh bankrupt in the same week um but still the the quality is growing and uh Considering that I'm doing the highlights of every game week and I have the opportunity to see all of the games, um, maybe in a congested form, but um, still all of the games of every of, of every game week, I can say the quality has improved so much. So maybe that's the answer to the question about the last 10 years. Certainly, uh, it's hard to keep up with the big money leagues like, like Germany, like France, like uh, England, of course, like Spain and Italy. Uh, Russia is now, I think it's eighth in Europe um, in, in terms of everything. Um, but it's not as bad as people think it is here because I've, I've, I've been hearing a lot from Russians like we would never want to watch that. I was like, guys, it's a normal league. It has an intrigue. It has all the pace. It has the goals. It has the saves. And what, if, if people in England watch it, why do you not want to watch it? But then I go, I, I go to the stadium and I see even during the pandemic, you know, thousands of people in the stands. And that kind of warms my heart. Uh, because of all the times that we're going through and, you know, even a thousand fans in the stands would be a thousand more than uh, there are in, at the English grounds at, at, at this moment in time. So um, unpredictability, uh, banter about it, nonstop banter about the league. Uh, and maybe also the fact that it's undervalued by most of the fans domestically. That kind of keeps my interest to Russian League alive. And I think it will only get better over years. As an English football fan, I can certainly say I am jealous of of those of those who can get into stadiums in Russia at the minute because I would love nothing more than to go back to a football match, to be quite honest. But I mean, it's the unpredictability is just really. I mean, it's very Russian. I mean, we've all been on the Moscow Ring Road or in a or on one of the, of the third Ring Road, say for example, and in your taxi driver suddenly just does a U turn going like seventy down the motorway or, and goes drives crazy the wrong way. I mean, it's just one of those very Russian things that you kind of see every time we're over there. Um, we've got another question from Damo Stone. And what's for you, Yaro, has been the biggest surprise of the season so far? Well, I would say I had, I've had two big surprises this season. First is Krasnodar, uh, as to how bad they've been and how low they are in the table. Um, that's probably the biggest surprise. And the other big and pleasant surprise, I think it's Himki. Because everyone at the beginning of the season was saying that Himki have got into the league and they are already doomed. They have no chance of, you know, getting anywhere past uh, the 14th or the 13th. And then, boom, they went on a run of many games without a loss, many games unbeaten. And I think they've only been stopped by Zenit last weekend. And actually, I've watched most of that game. They, uh, there were certain spells when they played better than Zenit. Um, and they deserved maybe a little more than nil, than zero points from that game. So those are my two big surprises. Um, Players-wise, I think it's uh, Zaharyan uh, of Dinamo Moscow, 17 years of age, and he's absolutely killing it right now. I uh, commentated on a Dinamo game today in a cup, and uh, needless to say, just how badly they missed a teenager. How crazy does it sound? You know, a, a famed club with uh, mm. millions mm. in budget and a German manager who worked with Jurgen Klopp they are missing a 17-year-old guy in their attack. So, yeah, those are probably my biggest surprises this season, both negative and positive. Yeah, I was looking through my notes again today, and for, for Dinamo, I've got literally Lesavoy, wonderful goal, 
youngsters paying off, just Zakaya and Grulia of Lysavoy, Chukav, and just how the faith that, that Schwarz has shown in them, it's it's really good to see for Dinamo that it's paying off to such a good extent because they are what are making Dinamo tick right now. The Lysavoy's goal, the, the ball into him, I think it was a Chukavin who played it in. And the, the, the run and finish was absolutely brilliant. Zakarian and Chikarvins was a little bit of luck here and there, but the way that they've been playing, they're really creating their own luck. And Yarrow, I thought I would leave perhaps the best till last. It's uh, certainly one that's Liverpool and Russian football related, so it's right in your wheelhouse. But it's got it's from at Rus1993, and it's Vadim Rossi. Uh, which Russian player would you like to see playing for Liverpool? Well, that's a good one. Uh, if we are looking at the Russian Premier League right now, the only player I would see playing for Liverpool in terms of the quality, I'm very sorry, Dave. That would be Hvichek Varadzkeli, of course, um, because I, I'm just amazed at you know at his quality, at his dribbling, and everything. It's a full package, uh, even in such a young age that he is. Uh, but he's not Russian, of course. He's Georgian. Uh, but if we talk about Russian, Russian, um, you know, if 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 he continues this rate of progression, uh, the aforementioned boy Zakarian uh, of Dynamo Moscow, um, you know, by the age of nineteen or twenty, he could be the one, um, because you know, I'm I'm absolutely blown away by the size of his testicles. Uh, Seventeen years of age, he's you know playing first team football and decisive. Uh, kind of contributions to his team. Um, you, you know, in the two previous games, uh, if it wasn't for Zakarian, uh, the result could have been very, very much different. Um, but again, you know, w- we do have this sort of notion in Russia these days that you cannot say too many good things about a player. He immediately starts underperforming. Look at Matvey Safonov. Everybody has been raving about him and then uh, a, a very serious slump in form uh, in a very wrong time as well, and then injuries and things like that. So I don't want to heap too much praise upon uh, Zakarian. Um, I don't see any like sort of senior players uh, in Russia right now uh, being good enough for Liverpool at this stage. Although Liverpool has been so mm-hmm. dire this season um, that it's you know maybe <laughs> maybe even a Russian would not uh, harm <laughs> at this stage. Um, but if 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 I am to choose a senior player uh, for Liverpool. I don't know. Maybe Smolov could be a backup striker. I mean, the guy can do stuff. He's got experience. So, yeah, maybe that. Not even Golovin? Uh, no, Golovin, you know, he, he's a good player, but he, he's a midfielder. And uh, who would you replace <laughs> in Liverpool's sure. midfield, you know? Because you can fluctuate with the likes of Firmino and Jota and, you know, Salah and Mane. Mane has actually been very poor as of late. And you can slot, slide someone in there, but you know the midfield area where Golovin plays. Um, hard to see anyone leave there among the current Liverpool squad. It's fair. It's fair. See, when I first saw the question, I, I mean, the way that Trent Alexander-Arnold's been playing of late, I, I think, I mean, he plays for Finland, but he was born in Leningrad and he's still at Lokomotiv. But even Boris Rotenberg Jr. could do a job at right back for Liverpool right now. That's a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) Now, and with that, we've reached the end of this week's pod. Yarrow, where can everybody find yourself and your work online and anywhere else that you may 
appear? Well, I've got lots of places where you can find me. Um, obviously, the broadcasts of the Russian Premier League on Russian Premier League's YouTube every weekend. Uh, next up for me is, as I've mentioned, uh, Lokomotiv against uh, Spartak. And uh, I will actually uh, give you a little bit of a commercial uh, commercial mystery, commercial taina, <laughs> as we say in Russia. Um, so I will also commentate on, guess what, Krasnodar Zenit. <laughs> Poor Krasnodar, they're doomed. Um, I will also commentate on Sochi CSK. And then I will commentate on Spartak CSK Derby. Uh, this month, so I have the um, I have the the full lineup for this month, uh, and also my Twitter Yaro LFC, uh, and also for those speaking Russian, uh, I do a YouTube channel about the different dialects and accents of English called Speak Easy. So those are the places you can find me if you are interested. And for those who may have missed it as well, David, you recorded a short video on on the goings on in the RPL for our friends at the Speaker Pod. Um, they are a podcast to explore all things on a more European football basis, and they are getting experts from certain countries to focus exclusively on their own area of expertise. And the Sweeper Pod in general does focus more towards away from the top five leagues and, and some of the more unheralded leagues that, say, Russia might be held in in that similar esteem. And you can find them at the Sweeper Pod on Twitter, and, and David's very own video is on our own We've retweeted that on, on Russ Football News. In another website update, there's a light in the end of the tunnel and I hope we can revert back to normal operation as soon as possible. We'll be back at the usual time next week. Until then, this has been the RFN Podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет